0: Welcome to Reformed in Public. We continue with the reading of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. This work is considered public domain. 11. But there is still another reasoning with which many murmuring hearts think to feed their humor. They say, if I never had been in a better condition, than I could bear this affliction. If God had always kept me in such a low condition, I could be content. Oh, but there was a time when I prospered more, and my hands were full, and therefore now it is harder for me to be brought low as at present. Perhaps a man had five or six hundred a year, but now has had nothing for a great while. If that man had not been born to so much, or had never prospered in any higher degree than he is now, the affliction would have been less, perhaps he has some money and friends to live on, but if he had never been in a higher condition, he would have not ha- he would not have accounted it so great a thing to have been without it now. This many times is our greatest wound that once we were in a better condition, but it is the most unreasonable thing for us to murmur upon this ground of any. 1. For is your eye evil because God has been good to you heretofore? It is a bad thing for us to have our eye evil because God is good to others, but to look upon our condition with an evil eye now because God was once good to us. Has God done you any wrong because he was formerly more good to you than he was to others? 2. Did God give you more prosperity before? It was to prepare you for affliction. We should look at all our outward prosperity as a preparation for afflictions. If you had done so, then it would not have been so difficult for you to endure afflictions now. If, when you had great wealth, you made use of the mercy of God to prepare you for your afflicted state, then the change of your estate would not be so grievous. Every Christian should say, Have I wealth now? I should prepare for... Poverty. Have I health now? I should prepare for sickness. Have I liberty? Let me prepare myself for imprisonment. How do I know what God may call me to? Have I comfort and peace now in my conscience? Does God shine upon me? While I have this, let me prepare for God's withdrawing from me. Am I delivered from temptations? Let me prepare now for the time of temptations. If you would do so, The change of your condition would not be so grievous to you. Sailors who are in a calm prepare for storms. Would they say, if we never had calms, we could bear storms. But we have had calms so many years or weeks together, that this is grievous. In your calm you are to prepare to storms, and the storms will be less. You should reason quite contrary to what you do and say, Now I am in an afflicted condition. But blessed be God, I was in a comfortable condition, and blessed be God that He was before with me in His mercy. This one consideration may help murmuring hearts. Do you murmur because once you were better? Know that God was before with you in mercy, and you should rather think thus. I have lived for these many years, perhaps forty years or more, in a comfortable condition. I have lived in health and peace and plenty. What though the... Remaining part of my time should have some sorrow and affliction. The Lord has granted to me a comfortable sunshine all the day long towards evening. And what if at seven or eight o'clock at night it begins to rain? Let me thank God I have had such fair weather all day. If you are on a voyage, and you have a comfortable wind, and very fair weather for many months together, what if you have a little storm when you are within sight of land? Will you murmur and repine? Oh, now, but you rather bless God, that you have had such a comfortable voyage so long. Oh, this consideration would help us all, if God should now say, Well, you will never see comfortable days, again, in outward things, in this world, then you have cause to fall down and bless God's name that you have had so many comfortable days. Now you reason quite contrary, whereas you should bless God that you have had so much comfort, you make what you have had before an aggravation of your afflictions now, and so murmur and are discontented. On what terms did you hold what God gave you before? Did you hold it so that you have in your papers to have and to hold forever? God gives no such thing. God gives to no man, I say, anything but grace to run upon that tenure, there is no such thing in all God's writings for any outward comforts as to have and to hold for you and for your heirs. Indeed, grave he gives to yourselves, to have and to hold for ever though not for every one who comes out of your loins to have and to hold for ever. But God does not give any outward thing upon such tenure as that. If God gives me an understanding of himself, and faith, and humility, and love, and patience, and such graces of his Spirit, he gives me them for ever. If he gives me himself, and his Christ, and his promises, and his covenant, he gives me them for ever. Who am I, therefore, that the sun should always shine upon me, that I must have fair weather all my days? What God gives to me, he gave it as a pledge of his, life, of his love. Let me return it to him as a pledge of my obedience. There is all the reason in the world for it. All that a godly man receives from God, he receives as a pledge of God's love to him. Therefore, when he comes to an, into an affliction, Therefore, when he comes into an afflicted condition, God says, Return to me as a pledge of your obedience what you had from me as a pledge of my love. We should cheerfully come to God and bless God that we have anything to render to him as a pledge of our obedience and should say, "Oh, it is your love, O Lord, which has given us everything, which enables us to render a pledge of our obedience when god calls for your wealth or any other or any comforts that you have god calls for it as a pledge of your obedience to him 12 another reasoning of a murmuring heart is this oh but after i have taken a great deal of pains for this comfort yet i am with yet i am thwarted in it to be thwarted now after all the labor and pains i have taken oh this goes very hard i answer 1 The greater the cross, the more obedience and submission. 2. When you took a great deal of pains, was it not with submission to God? Did you take pains with resolutions, that you must have such a thing when you labored for it? Then know that you did not labor as a Christian, but if you labored and took pains, was it not with resignation to God? Lord, I am taking pains in my calling, but with submission. I depend wholly upon you for success and blessing. And what did you aim at in your labor? Was it not that you might walk with God in the place where God had set you? A Christian should do so in... His outward calling, I am diligent in my outward calling, but it is so that I may might obey God in it. It is true, I do it, that I might provide for my family, but the chief thing that I aim at is that I might yield obedience to God in the way where God has set me. Now, if God calls you to another condition to obey him in... Though it is by suffering, you will do it for your heart is right there will be more testimony of your love to God if so be that you now yield yourself there will be more of your love three there will be more testimony of your love to God if so be that you now yield your up that you now yield yourself. Yield up yourself to God in what cost you dear. Shall I offer that to God, said David, that cost me nothing? Your outward comforts have cost you much, and you have taken great pains to obtain them. And now, if you can submit to God in the want of them, in this, I say, your love is the more shown that you can offer to God what cost you dear. 13. Now, these are the principal reasonings of a discontented heart, but there is one plea more that may be named. Some say, though I confess that my affliction is somewhat hard, and I feel some trouble within me, yet I thank God I do not break out in discontented ways That to the dishonor of God. I keep it in, although I have much ado with my own heart. Oh, do not satisfy yourselves with that, for the disorders of your heart and their sinful workings are as words before God. My soul be silent, to God. We spoke of that in the beginning of the expounding of this scripture. It is not enough for your tongue to be silent, but your soul must be silent. There may be a sullen discontentedness of heart as well as a discontentedness manifested in your wor- in words, and if you do not mortify that inward sullenness when you are afflicted a little more, it will break forth at last. And thus the Lord, I hope, has met with the chief reasonings and please for our discontent in our conditions. I plea—I beseech you in the name of God to consider these things, and because they concern your own hearts, you may so much the better remember them. I had thought to have made a little beginning to the next head, which is some way of helping you to this grace of contentment. It is a most excellent grace of admirable use, as you have heard, and the contrary is very sinful and vile. How to attain contentment Now we are coming to the close of this point of contentment, which Jesus Christ teaches those who are in his school. We have opened the point to you and showed you wherein the art and skill and mystery of Christian contentment lies, and many things in the way of application, rebuking the want of it. In the last chapter, I've finished the point of showing the various reasonings of a murmuring and discontented heart. I shall now be desirous to make an end, leave what was said, and proceed to what remains. There are only these two things, for working your hearts to this grace of contentment. One, to propound several considerations for contenting the heart in any afflicted condition. Two, to propound directions what should be done for working our hearts to this one considerations to content to the hearts in any afflicted condition one we should consider in all our wants and inclinations to discontent the greatness of the mercies that we have and the meanness of the things we lack the things we lack if we are godly are things of very small moment in comparison to the things we have and the things we have are things of very great moment for the most part the things for the want of which people are discontented and murmur are such things as reprobates have or may have why should you be troubled so much for the want of something which a man or woman may have and yet be a reprobate as that your wealth is not so great your health not so perfect your credit, not so much. You may have all those things, and still be a reprobate. Now, will you be discontented for what a reprobate may have? I will give you the example of a couple of godly men, meeting together Anthony and Didymus. Didymus was blind, and yet a man of very excellent gifts and graces. Anthony asked him if he was not troubled at his want of sight. He confessed he was, but he said, should you be troubled at the want of what flies and dogs have and not rather rejoice and be thankful that you have what angels have god has given you those good things that make angels glorious is it not that enough for you though you lack what a fly has and so a christian should reason in the case and so a christian should reason the case with himself what am i discontented for i am discontented for what I am discontented for want of what a dog may have, what a devil may have, what a reprobate may have. Shall I be discontented for not having that, when God has given me what makes angels glorious? Blessed be God, says the apostle in Ephesians 1. 3. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. It may be you have not such great blessings in earthly places as some others have. But if the Lord has blessed you in heavenly places that should content you, there are blessings in heaven and he has set you here for the present. As it were in heaven, in a heavenly place, the consideration of the greatness of the mercies that we have and the littleness of the things that God has denied us is a very powerful consideration to work this grace of contentment two, the consideration of that God is beforehand with us, with his mercies should content us. I spoke of this as an aggravation of our discontent, but now I shall use it as a consideration to help us to contentment. You lack many comforts now, but has not God been beforehand with you here to for. Oh, you have had mercy enough already to make you spend all the strength you have, and time you shall ha- live to bless God for what you have had already. I remember reading of a good man who had lived to fifty years of age and enjoyed his health for eight and forty years exceedingly well and lived in prosperity. But the last two years his body was exceedingly diseased. He had the strangury and was in great pain, but he reasoned the case with himself thus, O Lord, you might have made all my life a life of torment and pain, but you have left me to have eight and... 40 years in health. I will praise your mercies for what I have had and will praise your justice for what now I feel. Oh, it is a good consideration for us to think that God is beforehand with us in the way of mercy. Suppose God should now take away your wealth from some of you who have lived comfortably for a great while. You will say that aggravates our misery that we have had wealth, but it is through your unthankfulness that it is it does so we should bless God for what we have had and not think that we are worse because we have had thus and thus we might always have been miserable who has who have no other great aggravation of his misery We might have always been miserable. Who has no other great aggravation of his misery but that once he was happy? If there is nothing else to make you miserable, then that is no aggravation that you may not bear. For there is much mercy in that you had it once. Therefore, let that content you. 3. The consideration of the abundance of mercies that God bestows and we enjoy It is a saying of Luther, the sea of God's mercies should swallow up all our particular afflictions. Name any affliction that is upon you. There is a sea of mercy to swallow it up. If you pour a pail full of water on the floor of your house, it makes a great show. But if you throw it into the sea, there is no sign of it. So afflictions considered in themselves we think are very great, but let them be considered with the sea of God's mercies we enjoy, and then they are not so much, they are nothing in comparison. For Consider the way of God towards all creatures. God carries on all creatures in a vicissitude of several conditions. Thus, we do not always have summer, but winter succeeds summer. We do not always have day, but day and night. We do not always have fair weather, but fair and foul. The vegetative creatures do not always flourish, but the sap is in the root, and then, and they seem to be dead. There is a vicissitude of all things in the world. The sun does not shine always on us here, but darkness comes after light. Now, seeing God has so ordered things with all creatures, that there is a mixture of conditions, why should be thing Why should we think it much that there should be a vicissitude of conditions with us, sometimes in a way of prosperity and sometimes in a way of affliction? 5. The creatures suffer for us. Why should we not be... The creatures suffer for us. Why should not we be willing to suffer to be serviceable to God? God subjects other creatures. They are fain to lose their lives for us, to lose whatever beauty and excellence they have, to be serviceable to us. We should not... We be willi- Why should not we be willing to part... With anything in service for God, certainly there is not a great distance between other creatures and mankind, as there is between mankind and God. This is an expression of the martyr Master Hooper, which we read of in the Book of Martyrs, in laboring to work his own... in in laboring to work his own heart and the hearts of others, to contentedness in the midst of his sufferings, he has this comparison, and you may be put in mind of it every day. He said, I look upon the creature and see what it suffers to be useful to me. Thus the brute beast must die, must be roasted in the fire and boiled, must come on to the plate be hacked all in pieces must be chewed in the mouth and in the stomach turned to that which is loathsome if one should behold it and all to nourish me to be useful to my body and shall not i be willing to be made anything for god for his service what an abundance of alterations the creature undergoes to be made useful to me and to to be made useful to me to preserve me Then, if God will do so with me for his use as subjects of the creatures to me for my use, As he subjects the creatures to me for my use, why should I not reset contented? If God will take away my wealth and make me poor, if God will take away my life, hack me to pieces, put me in prison, whatever he does, yet I should not suffer more for God than the creature does for me, and surely I am infinitely more bound to God than the creature is to me, and there is not so much distance between me and the creature. And between me and God, such considerations as these wrought the heart of the martyr to contentedness in his sufferings. And every time the creature is upon your plates, you may think, What does God make the creature suffer for my use, not only for my nourishment, but for my delight? What am I, then, in respect of the infinite God? 6. Consider that we have but a little time in this world. If you are godly, you will never suffer except in this world. Why do but shut your eyes, and soon another life is come? As that martyr said to his fellow martyr, Do but shut your eyes, he said, And the next time they are opened, you shall be in another world. When he was banished, Athanasius said, It is but a little cloud, and it will be over, notwithstanding soon. These afflictions are but for a moment. When a sailor is at sea, he does not think it much of. if a storm arises, especially if he can see the heavens clear beyond it. He says, It will be over soon. Consider we have not long to live. It may be over before our days are at an end. But supposing it should not, death will put an end to all. All afflictions and troubles will soon be at an end by death. 7 Consider the condition that others have been in who have been our betters. We made some use of this before to show the evil of discontent. But further, it is a mighty argument to work on our hearts, a contentedness in any condition. You may you many times consider who are above you, but consider who are under you. Jacob who was the heir of both Abraham and Isaac, for the blessing was upon him, and the promise ran in him, yet was in a poor, mean condition. Abraham, his grandfather, was able to make a kind of army of his own household, three hundred, to fight with a king, yet Jacob, his grandchild, goes over Jordan with a staff, and lives in a very poor and mean condition for a long time. Moses might have had all the treasure in Egypt, and some historians say of him, Pharaoh's daughter, adopted him for her son, because Pharaoh had no heir for the crown, and so he was likely to have come to the crown. Yet, what a low condition he lived in, when he went to live with Jethro, his father-in-law, forty years on end. Afterwards, when he returned to Egypt with his wife and children, and all that he had, he had only one beast to carry him. He went back to Egypt from his father-in-law in a mean condition. And we know how Elijah was fed with ravens and how he had to shift for his life from time to time and run into the wilderness up and down. And so Elisha, he was many times in a low condition. The prophets of God were hid in a cave by Obadiah and there fed with bread and water. And the prophet Jeremiah put into a dungeon and oh how he was used and it would be endless to name the particulars of the great sufferings of the people of God. In former time we have sometimes made use of this argument in other ways. The great instruments of God in the Reformation lived in great straits, in a very low condition. Even Luther himself, when he was about to die, though he was a man of such public use, and was a great man in the courts of princes, said, Lord, I have neither house nor lands nor estate. TO LEAVE ANYTHING TO WIFE OR CHILDREN, BUT I COMMIT THEM TO THEE, AND SO MUSCULUS, WHO WAS A a VERY FINE INSTRUMENT OF GOD IN HIS TIME, THOUGH HE WAS A MAN WHO WAS WORTH EVEN A KINGDOM FOR THE EXCELLENCE OF HIS SPIRIT AND LEARNING, FOR HE WAS ONE OF THE MOST LEARNED MEN OF HIS TIME, YET SOMETIMES WAS FORCED TO DIG IN THE COMMON DITCH TO GET BREAD FOR HIS FAMILY. What would we do if we were in such condition as these men were? But, above all, set Christ before us, who professes that the birds of the air had nest, and the foxes had holes, yet the Son of Man had no place to hide his head. Such a low condition was he in, The consideration of such things as these is very useful. It is likewise useful for men and women of wealth to go to poor people's houses and see how they live, to go to hospitals and to the wounds of soldiers and others, and to see the lamentable condition that people live in who live in some almshouses, and what poor fare they have, and what straits they are put to. You hear sometimes of them, but if you went to see them in... it but if you went to see them it would not only stir up charity in yourselves towards them but stir up thankfulness in your hearts towards god it would be a special means to help you against any discontent you would go away and see cause to bless god and say if i were in such a condition as they are in what should i do how could i bear it and yet what reason is there that god so orders and disposes of things that they should be so low in the conditions and i in their conditions and i so high i know no reason but free grace god will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy these are good considerations for the furtherance of contentment 8. Before your conversion, before God wrought upon your souls, you were contented with the world without grace, though you had no interest in God nor in Christ. Why cannot you now be contented with grace and spiritual things without the world? If you yourselves were content with the world without grace, there is reason you should be content with grace without the world. Certainly there is infinitely more reason. You see that many men of the world have a kind of contentment. They do not murmur or repine with the world. Though they have no interest in God and Christ, they cannot have as much contentment with God and Christ without the world as they can with the world without God and Christ. It is an infinite shame that this should be so. 9. Ye consider when God has given you such contentments, you have not given him the glory. When God has let you have your heart's desire, what have you done with your heart's desire? You have not been any better for it. It may be you have been worse many times. Therefore, let that satisfy you. I meet with crosses... But, when I had contentment and all things coming in, God got but little or no glory for me, and therefore, let that be a means now to quit to quiet me in my discontented thoughts ten finally, consider all the experience that you have had of God's doing good to you in the want of many comforts when God crosses you, have you never had experience of abundance of good? I- In afflictions, it is true when ministers only tell men that God will work good out of their afflictions. They hear them speak and think they mean like good men, but feel they... Like good men, but they feel little or no good. They feel nothing but pain. But when we cannot only say to you that God has said he will work good out of your afflictions, but we can say to you that you yourselves have found it so by experience that God has made former afflictions to be great benefits to you, and that you would not have been without them, or without the good that came by them for the world, sorry, for a world. Such experiences will exceedingly quiet the heart and bring it to contentment. Therefore, think thus with yourself. Lord, why may not this affliction work as great a good upon me as afflictions have done before? Perhaps you may find other considerations. Besides, in your own meditations, these are the principal ones that I have thought of. I will add only one word to this, of one who once was a great merchant and trader, his name was Zeno and it happened once that he suffered shipwreck and he said I never made a better voyage and sailed better than at the time that I suffered shipwreck. Now this was a ver- now this was a strange saying that he had never made a better voyage. It would have it would be a strange paradox to you who are seamen to say that it was a good voyage when you suffer shipwreck but he meant because he got so much good by it god was pleased to bless it so far to him that he gained much to his soul by it so much soul riches that he made account that it was the best voyage that ever he had Truly, sometimes it is so. Yes, to you who are godly, I make no question, but you find it so, that your worst voyages have proved your best. When you have met with the greatest crosses in a voyage, God has been pleased to turn them to a great good to you in some other way. It is true we may desire crosses, that they may be turned to other advantages, but when God in his providence so orders things that you meet with bad voyages, you may expect that God will turn them to a greater good, and I do not doubt but that those who have been exercised in the ways of godliness any long time have abundant experiences which they have gained by them." You know, sometimes it is better to be in a little ship, for they have an advantage over the over greater ones in storms many times. In a storm a little ship can thrust into a shallow place, and so be safe, but your great ships cannot. They must be abroad, and tossed up and down in the storm and tempest, and so many times split against the rocks, and so it may be, God sees there is a storm coming, and if you are in a great and if you are in your great ship, you may be split upon rocks and lands. God therefore puts you into a smaller vessel, that you may be more safe. We will lay aside speaking of those considerations now, but I would not have you lay them aside and put them out of your thoughts, but labor, those especially that must most concern you, to make use of them in a needful time, when you find any discontentedness of spirit arising in you. The main thing that I intend by way of appliance is to propound directions, what to do for helping our hearts to be... What to do for helping our hearts to contentment? For as for any further considerations, we have already spoken largely of them, because we have opened most things in showing what the lessons are that Christ teaches men when he brings them into his school to teach them this art. I say we have spoken there of such special things that are most considerable. For helping us to this grace of contentment. Therefore now all that I shall further do about this point will be giving will be the giving of some directions what course to take that we may come to attain this grace of contentment. <laughs>